Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live, we're live at Gross Anatomy Podcast. We're live? Yes. So you're saying we're live. I'm saying we're live. At and Gross I'm Anatomy Podcast. You are drinking hot water. I'm drinking hot water today. The coffee shop was closed, shop but was Dr. Closed. Cohen convinced them to give him a cup of hot water. A cup of hot water. Because um, I'm and sick. And they did, so he would leave. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully the hot water will work. Yeah. And you won't be able to tell that he's sick on the podcast. The only reason they gave me the hot water is so that I would leave. I know. That's kind of like my dad. My dad used to go into like fancy stores and harass them asking what was on sale. And they really? used to like give him stuff just to get rid of him. He was a real psycho. <laughs> yeah. That's but in nice. a good way. Well, there's also the, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the good guy discount. Like if you really just like kill it with kindness, sometimes Ooh. people will give you a discount. Well, like, that was like the olden days of traveling too. Oh. Air travel. Oh yeah. If but you're not really, so much today. Yeah. yeah. No, they're more strict. But we're live, you're saying. We are live. At Gross Anatomy Podcast. At Gross Anatomy Podcast. Where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to movies, TV, pop culture, and the world around us. Correct. And you are? And I'm Lauren Taylor. And I'm Jason Cohen. I'm not feeling that great today, I have to admit. I'm feeling kind of yucky. But even though you're not feeling great, you are still a doctor. I'm still a doctor, and I'm trying to bring it. And... This podcast is, you know, just a conversation. It's just a conversation. It's not medical advice for anyone. Non-medical advice about a sick doctor. <laughs> so one of the students, I told my students that I'm not feeling so well today. Um, and one of the students came up to me afterwards and say, oh, are you taking a few days off? And I think he was joking because I always joke around that in medicine, basically the only time maybe we could call in is if we call in dead and even then, I don't think we're allowed to miss work. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about how that works. So you if really, you're on call, you just have to show up. You got to show up. And you. I remember going in with, like, fever to work. And I don't know if it's safe and good. But, you know, you, you certainly are super careful about hygiene and washing and not mm-hmm. coughing on anybody. Sometimes you even wear a mask or something like that if you're going to have a lot of contact with patients. And you're just extra careful. And I, and I don't think I've ever gotten anybody sick going in for work. Right. Um, but yeah, you kind of just tough it out in, in surgery, maybe other fields of medicine you could call in sick, but you know, it's funny. I get these pre-med students will eat. They're only supposed to come in once a week for our weekly Wednesday meetings. And, and I get students saying, um, uh, oh, I'm not feeling well, so I'm not coming in today. And, oh, and I, I no, like nah, well, I, I'm old fashioned. Maybe today you can, but at least when I was a kid, you know, you could never call in sick. Maybe dead. Maybe you could call in dead. Yeah, I would feel weird about calling in sick. Yeah, for sure. there's really no calling in sick. Yeah. Like, I have I remember I've even had, like, colleagues who were so sick, they would have us put an intravenous, an IV in their arm, give them some fluid so they could just function, and then they'd even walk around with, like, a bag of fluid hanging into oh their gosh. veins so Hard that they could core. function. I don't know if they're People doing that, do that today. Now. That's um, a... A money maker now for right. people with like hangovers or right. people that are under the weather. You right. But this was us like practically on deathbed, uh, but still having, having to, work. to work. But part part of the reason to work was a you felt like you had to you had to work, you know, mm-hmm. like if you weren't going to work, you'd be viewed as weak or whatever. But the other thing is, is if you weren't showing up, you were there's a real team mentality and you kind of felt like you'd be letting your team down. Mm-hmm. So there was a big component of. Not wanting to to let your team down because if you're not there, your team has, has extra work to do. You know your workload, and and as it is, we're all kind of overworked and underpaid kind of thing as residents. Right. 
So, and plus, aren't residents, aren't you guys kind of like vying for different jobs? Or a little bit. Or is that just how it is in the TV shows? It's, in the olden days, there was that. There's a lot less so today, but, but there so still is so that. not so competitive when you're residents anymore? Once you're a resident, not that competitive. But you're, there's still a competitiveness just in terms of wanting to be, you know, the best, you know, and, okay. and impress everybody. But not so much in terms of jobs, at least while you're doing your job. But, you know, as well as you, if you do amazing as a resident you have a better chance of getting a great fellowship, you know, and it keeps going and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. I did want to give an update because we did a vaping podcast. Yes. Which was good. Um, but the CDC on Friday, so a few days ago, said that they pinpointed the likely cause of it, and it is vitamin E acetate. It's not the vitamin E, it's the acetate. Yes. Yeah. And so there and 29 patients who were hospitalized after vaping, that was what they had in common. That was the additive used to dilute liquid in e-cigarettes or vaping products, um, most of which contain THC. You know what's interesting? I, I, I'm not in the cannabis space, but I'm very interested in the cannabis space. And I know a lot of people and I'm, and I'm trying to get more and more educated in the space. And there's a chemist who's genius who is in the cannabis space who I talked to about a month or so ago when I went to that cannabis meeting. And I think he told me then that that's what it was. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of remember kind him of saying thought that. It might be multiple things. And right. CDC still says that that is possible. Yeah, but for sure. They think they finally pinpointed it. So I don't know what this, this means for vaping. It seems like you wouldn't be able to vape until. Or switch the product yeah, that they're product mixing it with. It's not yeah. in it anymore. And basically, what it causes is does it say what it causes? Um, well, it's like a pneumonia right so it just it's just some compound or structure that irritates the lungs Mm -hmm. and causes a chemical pneumonia or pneumonitis and uh yeah well i mean in october a 17 year old who had this um vaping lung injury had to have a double um lung transplant i heard that on the radio today or yesterday the first person ever to do that a young kid with a double lung transplant yes and supposedly they kind of filmed and recorded the whole thing or or something they they really made a big social media push on it that's why i heard on the radio because this kid wants to help educate other kids to kind of not do it been vaping he's only 17 that's well that's scary too that's what's scary someone said today that the incidence of kids vaping or under 18 is maybe like um 19 of the vapors which the the person who mentioned it said oh that's low but in my mind that's high yeah i think yeah. that's high too yeah that's way too high yeah so kids should not be vaping no. period it should be like a zero percent my eldest kid has no has friends and kids who are doing it which scares the crap out of me my middle kid i mean because mm-hmm. she's only 15 right and she's telling me my middle daughter that she's seeing kids doing it Right. That scares me. That's the update on that. Thank you for the update, Lauren. <laughs> that was a good update. So, you know, so my, my 13 and 15-year-old daughters are both, um, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, interested in science. And the other night at dinner, my kids were asking me, actually, my eldest daughter had some friends over. So we were all talking about what what's going on inside of our abdomens or the belly. People mm-hmm. call it the stomach, but it's not the stomach. The stomach is a small, is an organ, you know, as part of the gastrointestinal tract. But so they were asking me, what's inside of our belly? You know, is everything like just free floating around? Is Are things kind of stuck in certain places? And the answer is 
the intestines, the small intestines, are kind of free floating around. They don't have a set they they don't have a set position. It's kind of like just worms moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, peristals, which is the the word for um, the transition and the and the moving of the fluids. They, they peristalsis, which is the flowing of and the contractions of the intestines. Okay. But then. Our other organs are fixed at certain points, and I was describing it kind of like um, a bookshelf. You know, the shelves are attached to the to the bookcase, uh, or like someone's pocketbook. You know, you open the pocketbook, and there are these partitions, kind of, mm-hmm. to how where things could go. Right. So the liver is kind of fixed at a few points to keep it in place. The kidneys are towards our back and have fascia or connective tissue and are kind of fixed at certain places. The spleen has different. So, so there are fixed attachments for the most part, but then uh, I was actually telling our students today um, and why we got into it. I don't remember just about uh, one of the students was telling me about a surgery. She gets to observe surgery. And one of the surgeries she was observing was, one of the doctors was looking for, in the operating room, was looking for an organ, and it wasn't in its normal location. So they, they kind of had to hunt a little bit for it. And it takes me back to one of the doctors who trained me. He was an old-time doctor, but he had this one wise saying. He, he loved to talk about appendicitis and grill the students. I was a medical student on appendicitis. And typically appendicitis or most diseases have like the classical things that you find with any disease entity, you know. So with appendicitis, it's a low-grade temperature, not a necessarily high temperature. It's pain down in your right lower quadrant mm-hmm. uh, of the abdomen. It's usually some anorexia, meaning you're not hungry. So th- those are some classic and a low white blood cell, a, a slightly elevated white blood cell count. So those are some classic findings. Um but at the end of the day, and this is what this doctor said, uh, which to this day I still repeat, even though it sounds asinine, is that the belly don't read no book. Have you heard me say the belly don't read I no book? I have heard you say it, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast. We've never talked about the belly don't read no Not book. Not my the recollection. And what he meant by that is, yeah, appendicitis presents usually with all those things. But occasionally not. Occasionally there's variations. And while everybody, for the most part, their organs are supposed to be in some place, sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reasons are because, well, a few things. One, um, before we're born, when we're still in the uterus, our intestines are actually outside of our body. And then they go back into us before mm-hmm. we're born, hopefully. So one thing that can sometimes happen, which is a medical emergency, a surgical emergency, is rarely kids, babies are born with their intestines outside of their body. What? And it's, and the, I did not know that. Nobody knows that. Mm-hmm. And it's super rare. And the truth is, I never got to see it in my seven years of surgical training. I didn't see it. I wasn't involved in an emergency. I've treated kids who now were handling the problem, but I never got to even deal with that problem. It's, it's a fairly rare thing, especially in a non, like, pediatric surgery hub. Okay. Um, but that happens sometimes, and, and it's an emergency because you can't leave their guts out. It'll dry up. But when they go back into our uh, abdominal cavity, the intestines, it's supposed to rotate a certain way. And we learn about how it's supposed to go back in and then get fixed. But sometimes it doesn't. And you have a malrotation where the intestines don't land where they're supposed to land. And while we think the appendix is supposed to be down on the right lower abdomen – 
Sometimes if it doesn't go, it could be on the left side or in the middle, and someone could come in with a, with weird abdominal pain, and you're like, no, it's not appendicitis, it's not down in the right, but eh, this patient has a malrotation, and they may have appendicitis. And I, I had this old uh, man years ago who I took care of, who I then, interestingly, got very close with the family, and he came in with this weird pain, and it turned out... He had appendicitis, but his appendix was up where it wasn't supposed to be. Wow. And then even rarer still, and, and oddly, it's actually not that rare. I mean, it's rare, but we see that enough as surgeons, this malrotation. And it could be an emergency. You see it in a, mm-hmm. in a baby's uh, early life, early on, when you actually have to deal with it emergently because the intestines aren't getting good blood supply. But some people have kind of a low-level chronic thing where they could live their whole lives, and boom, they get appendicitis, and that's how we realize it. Yeah, they never knew before because never they had knew no until they had a problem. X-ray right. Or- and then the other weird thing is some patients are born with what's called situs inversus, which is super duper rare, which is where their organs are mirror image. You know, you're supposed to have, you know, your liver on the right side, but mm-hmm. oddly enough, it's on the left and your heart is supposed to, you know, look a certain shape uh, and the chambers are supposed to go. But for whatever reason, it's inverted the other way. And that kind of thing you wouldn't know unless a patient gets a scan or an x-ray or some emergency, and then you figure it out, which is... Can that be problematic in itself? In itself, usually no, but it may be associated sometimes with other defects too, birth defects and things okay. like that. But 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 just by itself, no. The issue would be if you're treating someone and you don't get it and no, don't find out about it, and you have to realize that the anatomy and physiology may be a little different. So once you know it, usually you're fine. Okay. Yeah. But it's cool, wacky stuff. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But the main thing is, is the belly don't need no book. And you could apply that to anything and everything. That's what I was thinking. I was you like, really I can. like it. I'm not a doctor, but right. I feel like I want to use it for something. You really can. Because even though there are always rules and sets and standards, at the end of the day, there's tons of variation. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it about anything, but I'll always start it out with the belly don't read no book. And then I tell the story. Do your kids know that one? I think I recently told them the belly don't read no All book. Right. So I'll have to quiz them one of these days and see. <laughs> You had mentioned it's Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. That's obviously very important and usually affects people 45 or older, although it can affect people as in, like 30 years old. I Did guess you it see, doesn't really have... Well, let's take it into movies. Did you see the movie Alice? Still Alice? About Alice? What was the name of that movie? Yeah. Did you How see it? She? she was like 45, I feel. She was fairly young. Yeah. I, that's pretty young to get hit with Alzheimer's. Yeah. and I had. Did a, you see that movie? Yes, and I had a friend's dad who died of it, like, before he was 50, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. I know it can hit you when you're not old. My, so I, you know, unfortunately, my grandmother, my mother's mother had Alzheimer's, and I still remember as a kid um, being home, I, I think I was in college and med school, and she was a great cook, and one day I was at her house, and she made soup for me. She made a great matzo ball soup. And I'm sitting down and eating the soup, and it was awful. Oh, she forgot. She forgot, like, how... And she didn't have recipes, so mm-hmm. she would always just make it by... And I think she forgot to whatever. And that was mm-hmm. one of the earlier signs of, uh, you know, that she was starting to forget things. Yeah. Um, and it got it got to the point with her, you know, she was, she was already in her 70s, mm-hmm. which is still fairly young, yeah. you know, in terms of... Um, she was very healthy, but she really was losing her mind so much so that um, she forgot 
how to get in and out of a car, how to sit. And I remember it took us so long just to get her to sit down in that car because she didn't know how to sit down in a car. That's so painful. It was really painful to watch. Luckily, you know, with Alzheimer's or any dementia, people, the, the, the patients could have different responses and reactions, you know. So some people get angry and, and, and combative and nasty, which mm-hmm. is even harder when you're caring for that loved one. Right. Luckily, with my grandmother, she just turned juvenile and giddy. So, so lucky for us and for her, you know, she was like a silly little kid almost. Um, thank God, because I've I mean, seen. I can understand the anger though. Right. Like, and so I've seen. And yeah. Frightened. And yelling and, and acting out. And I've seen that too. Mm-hmm. And so it's a big issue for me because my grandmother had it. And I'm, and unfortunately, my mother died young. So um, it's. So on the back of my mind, am I going to be hit with this? Mm-hmm. And I'm turning 50 next month. And it's but really... But you got that test. So I had the test. So there's a gene, the APOE gene, A-P-O-E, A-P-O-E the APOE gene oh, okay. is, is the name of the gene. Dang. I don't have that gene. Or at least based on that, I don't, you know, how yeah. accurate it is, I don't have that gene, which was a major relief because I was stressing out like you can't believe. Be- mm-hmm. Because the if you have that gene, there's a much higher, inc- you're not necessarily going to get it. Mm-hmm but much higher incidence of getting Alzheimer's. So that really gave me some relief. But I don't know if she had that gene. So, you know, there's a zillion, you know, anytime we do these genes, I think we talked about it too with like the breast cancer gene. Just mm-hmm. because you don't have that gene doesn't mean you don't have a gene, another gene that we haven't identified right. that's not going to be linked to cancer or whatnot. So we just, we I just don't have that one single gene that's we've figured out Um which is a relief, you know? Right. Yeah. So one other thing is um, because of my concern uh, about getting Alzheimer's, um, you know, there's a lot of – there's certainly, unfortunately, there's still no cure for, for Alzheimer's disease. Um, but there are a few doctors – uh, and, I'm, and I'm trying to – I'm blanking on the guy's name, so I'm trying to – I found it. There are a few doctors um, who – are selling or writing or practicing real anti-dementia treatment. And, and I read one of the books. I, th- I think the book I read was by a guy named Dale Bredesen, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N, Dale Bredesen, The End of Alzheimer's, the first program to prevent and reverse cognitive decline. And some of it is his regimen of vitamin, you know, and, and it's kind of fine-tuned and fine-tailored. Everybody's different, and they're given certain regimens of vitamins and this and, and, and different things to take, zinc-based mm-hmm. often, and, and certain vitamins, and make sure you're not deficient in certain areas, uh, and also certain diet um, regimens to be on. Is this on a person-by-person basis? Or it is a okay. little bit. Because there was a study I just read by Dr. Richard Isaacson. Right. Who did, who's doing that. Like us, each person was given personalized prescription plan. Right. And that's kind of the feeling now. But also, these guys have all kind of come up with the fact that there are certain, I don't know how proven, but certain things that we could do as people Mm -hmm. to help prevent or fight or they're claiming reverse even certain dementia the study i read by dr isaacson which Mm -hmm. he gave uh 
people an average of 21 lifestyle behaviors to implement. Right. Um, so like physical activity. Physical and, activity. And so that's a huge one. So, yeah. Those so are by being, far the most important. Right. So being physically active is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of the reasons, amongst many, that I a couple of years ago decided that I needed to start being active. Mm-hmm. Um, what else you got? Um, yeah, the, but those were on that that. Um, so someone might need like a balance ball. Someone might need to stand on a desk. Weight training, like they were uh, all. They really looked at everything for. See, these I don't patients. know. I don't know how how much that's true or yeah, not. But that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. that it's specific exercise. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a certain amount of daily exercise. I think doctors were excited because there's been so much. And rightfully so to like find a cure. But yeah. in the meantime, there's right. something you can do right. to improve. But this guy, Bredesen, his book is really boring and hard to read. Okay. But, but you know, it's kind of the same thing as the China study book, you know, mm-hmm. keeps hammering home the, um, but, but there are, um, but he claims that he could reverse dementia in a lot of people, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Even people with this gene, which, which is unreal. But, um, yeah. but, but, one thing that's upsetting and depressing and worrisome to me that has been shown or thought to be shown um, that's important is sleep. Right. Right? Did you read that? Yes, and you need more sleep. Need more sleep. But yes. then I can't exercise. I don't know what it is about each of these patients that this yeah. is how they prescribe it. Yeah. But apparently it's really helping their Right. But sleep in terms ability. of at sleep, least. Yes. I, and they, and they said ideally keep, like eight hours of sleep, and you right? you continue not drinking coffee at night, I think. Right. And get more sleep. Right. But coffee, on the other hand, a little bit, I think, is thought to be okay. Although yes. I don't remember. And the name of the gene is the APOE gene, right? That at least by my 23andMe, I don't have. So, yeah. So when you originally told me you had this test, I was thinking there's no way I would do that because I would just not know what to do with that information. I would just be more worried. But now reading that there's other studies that you read and I read, maybe maybe you should know. Maybe you can do these different behaviors. Well, in my mind, help. had I had that gene, I would have got, made an appointment to go meet this doctor mm-hmm. is one thing, to be quite honest, or, yes. or one of his disciples to kind of get a blood. And it's we a lot of blood it tests. Maybe? It's a lot of blood tests too mm-hmm. they do. So they check a lot of blood. They check your levels and they, and they see where they could supplement certain supplements, vitamin B, zinc, and, and other, and other um, supplements that they want to make sure are normal. Make sure your iron level is normal, all of this. Okay. Um, the other thing, though, you know, maybe I, I would say, you know, if I had that gene, I'd be like, screw it, I'm out. You know, who knows? You know, who knows? You know, yeah. I'm checking out. I'm going to go have fun. Right. You know, uh, I'm going to hit my bucket list sooner. Well, I think, yeah. Although to some degree, we should think that anyway, bucket list, you know, because we're all dying. The second we're born, we're dying. So there are some yeah. speakers who are like, That's a good point you too. can't live like you're putting it off till tomorrow. You got to. You know, to some degree, we're dying right now. Right. And if there's crap you want to get done, go do it. What's number one on your bucket list? You do everything you want to do. Well, speaking of bucket list, it's not a bucket list, but last week we had discussed that this friend of mine is being honored. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. By the Christopher Reeves Foundation. Right. This My friend Alan Brown, if we've talked about. Alan T. Brown Foundation. Right. And he, who's a quadriplegic, who's my hero. And he's being honored in New York tomorrow. And I was saying to myself, oh, it's too hard to go and blah, blah, blah. I'm going. Yes. And I'm the reason I'm going, going is because I want to see him and I want to see my buddies. And my sisters are going to be my, – one of my sisters are flying in from Chicago. The other one I'll see for a little bit. And I'm literally going for less than 24 hours. And I'm sick, so I'm really but a little nervous a about it. Lifetime once thing. in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Yeah. What, right? I'm, if I didn't go, I'd look back and I'd be like, oh, I should have gone. Right. 
and I'm going at 7 a.m., and I'll be back by 11 a.m. the following day. All right. We're going to share some pictures on social media. Hopefully, we'll share some pictures on social media for sure. All right. Well, I want to get you out of here. So I think Is that it? We're I done? we did a good job. Did we do some gross anatomy? Yes. I mean, if people want to learn more about the mind, Netflix does have the show, The Mind Explained. Right. Which really goes into things. There's right. some crazy world of memory competitions I can't even oh, wrap yeah. my head around. Some oh, and that's the other thing. Memory games, you know, right. and things. But I don't know. I But yeah, certainly keeping your mind sharp is important. I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens with these studies. Like, hopefully there is some truth to it. Because, I mean, right. I was trying to look for something positive with Alzheimer's. Fatty more diets. More and more people keep getting it and it, there's no cure. Right. And that's just disappointing. Yeah. But people are seeing... Uh, some positive effects in these new for sure like, behavioral and I think their understanding of Alzheimer's is changing a little bit like like the whole thing about Alzheimer's is is the pathology seen in the brain mm-hmm. and the thinking is is those things that they see in the brain that's the problem mm-hmm. but I think they're starting to realize that that's just a reaction to the problem and it's not the problem the findings in the brain so they're trying to back up some steps and say how could we address preventing that Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I guess Ronald Reagan started this Alzheimer's, May, November, <clears throat> Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. Right. Um, in 1983. And since then, we still, you know, there's still no cure, unfortunately. Actor who became president. Yes, and then 11 years after declaring it November Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month, he got so you have to wonder if he already was diagnosed I mean, or no. I've heard that. But he also wanted to make it the month about like the caregivers because he realized how hard that was it really is hard and so if you go to the alzheimer's association you can like pay tribute online to a caregiver you can find support groups donations i thought that was pretty cool yeah thanks for joining us on gross anatomy thanks everyone thanks everyone i'm heading to new york yay yay That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to our podcast on iTunes so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine.